of what it is that you do or even brand a word that can be associated with you so that when everyone hears that word or hears that phrase, they think of you. So as everyone knows, I'm big on frameworks. And one of the frameworks that I've used before to name other companies and other products is essentially what Pinterest used to be able to create their name, right? So what you want to try to do is you want to create or you want to find two words that fit together. And essentially what you want to try to do is find the first word that the second to last letter is a vowel. So then the next step is you would try to find uh, a word that starts with that vowel and then the second letter is the last letter of the first word, right? So what I mean by that is take Pinterest, right? You also want to you also want to look for words that are associated to whatever your industry is or whatever your product is. So again, take Pinterest for instance. When you think of Pinterest, what is it you're doing? You're pinning your interests to these various different boards. So pin, P-I-N, and interest starts with I-N. So that's exactly what I'm talking about is let's you know try to think of a few words that can be combined together that describe whatever it is that your product or your service does. Uh, and the way that I like to do this is you know you you try to find a word that resonates with you that you can relate to whatever your product or service is and then just go to the Scrabble word finder and do you know uh, words that start with IN in this case, right? So you would go through that list and you would find the words that relate to whatever it is that your product or service does and then put them together with that first word and you now have your new term that you could be known for. Today we're going to be talking to Jeff Greenberg, who is a very experienced capital raiser for many different types of industries. And we're going to learn some of the most important things that you should make sure that you understand before you make any investment into any type of opportunity. If you are an accredited business owner who is looking to grow their net worth by investing into real estate, Come over and check us out at investinsquarefeet.com and join up for our investment club. We review deals that we are potentially going to invest in ourselves every week, and we can answer any types of questions that you might have about that particular deal or about how to get involved in investing into real estate opportunities. No, it was it was common if you were in the right circles. Of course, yeah. we, I can remember going around our neighborhood and wondering, oh, who owns this apartment or whatever? Oh, a syndication owns it. So they were doing syndications, but there was no 506B and 506C. It was just a 506, mm-hmm. um, which essentially was a 506B. Okay. Um, so it's for unaccredited. Yeah, it was for non- unaccredited investors and, and accredited, of course, but there was no BC designation that came years later. Yeah. But yeah, there was syndications going on and that's what the coach and and my mentor they were teaching that is how to do the syndication. Okay. And so you rose raised money for this 20 unit property. How did you go about convincing people 
to do this. And you, at this point, it sounds like you didn't really necessarily have any background in real estate. You've been dabbling for a, a while, but maybe no success or anything like that. What was it like raising money for that first deal? It was hell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had a partner and we both raised about half of that amount. Well, the amount was only 350000 mm -hmm. and she raised half. And it was interesting because most, in fact, I think all of hers was from people that she knew prior to real estate. It was either friends, I don't think it was any family, but it was employers or people she had worked side by side with. But everybody that she brought in were people that she had known before real estate. Mine was the total opposite. Everybody that, that invested with me was somebody that I met after I started real estate. Hmm. I either met them at a seminar, I met them at a meetup, I was going to a lot of events. And so I raised people from people I had met at, at some of these other events. And would you say that you have any type of strategy or technique that you've found works well over the years that allows you to be successful with raising capital from strangers, essentially? Over the past years, prior to just a couple of years ago, um, everything was either going to different events, meeting people in person, going to a lot of local meetups, going to a lot of boot camps. I was also uh, doing some coaching where I right. met a lot of people. So we, most of it was one-on-one -on -one meetings. Now, since I bought that first property, uh, I, I've been on lots of different podcasts. And so I, I do get contacts from people that heard me and want to talk to me and want to get to know more about me. Um, so that was most of it. It wasn't until more recently, within the last uh, year, year and a half, that I started any kind of social media uh, presence. I had a website, so I had some digital presence, but I was really not going on social media at all, in, except for the last maybe year, year and a half that I started doing that. When I was, I was very active in bigger pockets, answering questions, going into different discussions, uh, having conversations with people on bigger pockets. And in the beginning, there was very few people talking about commercial real estate. Most of the people were talking about single family homes, duplexes, small multis. Nobody was talking about big multis. Myself and Brian Burke were, were like the only ones out there talking about um, bigger multis. Um, and so we got some attention. Talk a little bit about your your thought process of jumping into those larger properties. Because again, you hadn't really necessarily done any duplexes or anything like that. And I feel like that's where most people will start. They'll jump into some duplexes, maybe a triplex, but they feel like they have to start there and, and not necessarily start in the the bigger projects. Do you, do you remember thinking back like, oh, I could do these smaller ones or I'm going to go after this bigger one? Is there a mindset there or something that you were conscious of that you wanted to accomplish by starting larger? Well, because of limited resources, the thing was is to be able to get something large enough that we could leverage what we had and use other people's money to invest it. And so we had to get something larger. A 20 unit is probably too small really to do that, but it ended up being a, a great lesson for us. And the in investors did okay. The problem with the smaller multis 
um, is management. If I'm in California, Southern California, and the cash flow just isn't there, so it's hard to do something local. If you're going to do duplexes or fourplexes out of your area and going to have to hire some kind of management, it's difficult to get good management on the smaller properties. Typically, you get a real estate broker that will do management in their spare time. And that's not their full job. That's not really where they're making money. So you don't have the kind of dedication that you would get if it's a full-time management company. And so I wanted to get bigger as fast as I could so we could get into the better management. Mm -hmm. And so that was one of the big drivers was to get to larger properties where we could get professional management. You were thinking that before you had even gotten into that first project, that you were cognizant that management was going to be an issue and cash flow was going to be an issue to be able to manage that property, right? That was something you were thinking about back then? Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to get where I could get to a large enough property that I had a full-time on-site person and a full-time on-site maintenance. So mm -hmm. somebody in the office and somebody outside. So that typically is about 70, 70 units, 70 to 100 units is what we were looking for. Um, this one ended up coming up into our lap and we decided to go with it, but we were really wanted to go bigger so we could, you know, get full-time people. And as I said, good management. As it was, this we went through three management companies on this property before we got somebody that we were able to stick with for a while. That's really impressive that you were thinking that way even early on. We we uh, we took over a 55 unit that we originally did not uh, intend on managing ourselves, but the property management company just did not do very well at all. So that was what we cut our teeth on. And you're right, that's, that was just borderline cash flowing enough where we made anything on it whatsoever. So... Um, so kudos to you for that. And I met Jeff, what, maybe a month and a half, two months ago and have talked to him a number of times and just your methodical way of thinking through these various different aspects of the opportunity of the real estate opportunity is uh, really pretty impressive. We'll get into the focus on the sponsors uh, and really honing in on why you want to be able to Make sure that how did how did you get involved on the other side of it? Not necessarily just syndicating the opportunity, but also operating them. Well, in the beginning, it was just myself and my partner. It was just the two of us. There wasn't anybody else. We did everything. We wore all the hats. Um, as it turned out later on, I ended up being usually the larger fundraiser, but she did more on the operations end of it, more of the the asset management end of it. You just you just wear all kinds of hats and you figure out which ones you like and which ones you don't. And it took me a, a while to, to figure that out, about 12 years of doing this business before I realized that operations wasn't the part that I enjoyed doing. I just hadn't figured out how to get out of it. And so I, I, fi I finally figured out how to get out of it by raising equity. And I decided to work with a lot a lot of people that are much better at it than I am mm -hmm. in the operation side of it. Yeah. And it's, it's such a rough business too. Uh, you know, the operation side, so many different things that you would never think that you should be part of you get thrown in to with, with the operational. I mean, there's all kinds of fun stuff or dealing with a fire situation or, mm -hmm. 
there's all kinds of fun stuff that you get to deal with. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk about some of the the things that you really focus in on what you look for in opportunities today. Obviously a big part of that is the sponsor. Give us your own sort of flavor as to what are some of those things that are no-go or go no-go decisions for you. Well, as you mentioned though, sponsor is number one for me. Um, as being an operator, I know what it takes to be an operator, and that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for people that are dedicated to keeping the, the revenues as high as you can, keeping the expenses down, making communities that people want to stay in because your biggest cost is going to be turnover. Somebody that really wants to build a community and make a safe, clean, uh, desirable place for tenants. So I want an operator that will do that. I mean, there's other aspects that we could talk about. Market, what kind of job growth coming in and uh, income levels. And also on the property, there's age of property. There's a lot of those particular details, but still, I still go back to the operator, the skill level of the operator. What are their capabilities? Are they vertically integrated? Do they have a management company? Do they have a construction company? The relationship that they have with their management company, if it's a third party. Um, there's just so many aspects of it and that they have an established business with, with clear responsibilities on their team. That's my big emphasis. Looking at the deal and the market comes after, after I'm happy with the sponsor. Mm -hmm. What would your thoughts be if you found a an opportunity or you found an operator that you really liked, you liked everything about them. They were standing behind this particular opportunity, but that, that opportunity didn't check off some of your boxes where maybe it was an older asset or what have you, but you, again, that operator that you really liked, really liked that opportunity. How, how do you weigh something like that? Is that something that you would just say, no, the opportunity doesn't check off all the boxes for me and you would walk away? Or would you take a second look at that based on the conviction of the operator that that is that has that a particular opportunity? I guess the turning the deal breaker would be, have do they have experience in that? Or are they just changing over to another opportunity? What do they really know about that? that? They could be very proficient as in a multifamily operator and all of a sudden they're buying a car wash or self-storage or something. What are they, what is their experience with that new asset type? I may say, okay, you go ahead and do this deal without me and let's see how things go. Get your lumps on the first time you're trying a new asset type and then let's see what happens on your next deal. But I really wouldn't want to be in a deal, even with a good operator that's, inexperienced in a particular asset type because assets uh, are quite different. Mm -hmm. Let's jump into the capital raising side of things. It sounds like you are very personable with your approach. You cut your teeth on the in-person meetings and the in-person events and going around the country and actually physically meeting people. What would you say is, do you approach these situations where you have uh, maybe a list of people who you want to meet at that particular opportunity that you want to be able to meet people to be able to raise money from them? Is there any type of mindset or anything like that you go in 
to these various different types of situations or even planning that, that you do before you get there? Well, if, if my objective is to meet investors as opposed to going to meet sponsors, um, I probably don't have any idea of who I'm going to be meeting, but I want to meet a lot of people that are interested in the business and maybe they may be starting out uh, wanting to be operators and not even realize that's really not what they want to be doing once, once they realize how difficult uh, of a process it is. So I would say, no, I don't typically know who I'm going to be talking to. On the other end, if it's, if it's sponsors I'm looking for, typically it's somebody I've already met before. It's somebody that I want to get to know better. Like this event we recently went to where there were specific people that I wanted to talk to and, and fortunately was able to spend time with a lot of these different uh, sponsorship groups. So yeah, for the investors, it's more of, I don't know exactly who I'm going to be meeting. Obviously, I'm looking for people that could afford the investment, uh, typically accredited investors. Even though I do have a 506B that allows non-accredited, usually looking for high net worth individuals. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You mentioned how we just were at this event and you had some people there, some operators that you wanted to meet. How do you identify the potential operators that you even want to meet? Is this something that you even found some operators that you hadn't known before at this event and you uncover that, that due diligence and maybe, again, that that could take six months or a year before you're comfortable enough to, to invest with them? How do you identify who would be a good person to invest in? Because there's always, there's so many people looking for money, all kinds of different opportunities. How do you figure out who the right ones are to be able to go after and actually pursue meeting them and trying to learn as much as you can about them. It starts with personality. It starts with, um, do I enjoy having a conversation with them? Are they open? Are they transparent? Are they willing to talk about different aspects of it? If there's people that are, that have too big of an ego, typically that doesn't sit with me very well because Typically, they think that they're the smartest one in the room and that that you need them um, instead of them needing us. So I'm not interested. I've dealt with people like that before, and usually it was a mistake. So I want people that are willing to sit down, have a conversation, that are willing to answer your questions, even if they're difficult questions. And that's kind of a start, is I need to like these people. Uh, before I want to get into a relationship with them. Because if I need things from them during the deal, the opportunity, I don't want to be hesitant about contacting them and say, hey, let's. I need to get a conversation with you or we need something or we're missing something. It should be, we should have a good relationship that we can talk. We, we are in a collaborative um relationship or that's what we're trying to start and we should be able to talk to each other we both need each other as fund managers we can make their life a lot easier and they're out there to help us make and make money for our investors and for us as well so yeah. it's it's a lot about enjoying talking to somebody wanting to work with that type of person couldn't agree more and and it's a great analogy to it. This really is a relationship that people don't necessarily understand how 
long and how many different hurdles that you might go over along the way. So it really is a relationship where you have to understand each other and be on that same wavelength. And it's a process. It's a process. It's a long process. And there's a lot of people that maybe have great jobs. Um, they're making a lot of money and they want a place to put their money, but they really don't have the time and effort that we have to put in to really find those operators that we want to work with. And so that's a position that we put ourselves in is, okay, we're doing all this work to get to know people, to get these relationships. And so that's the uh, place that we, or the role that we play in, in helping people get into opportunities. And a lot of people don't really understand how, just how much work that really goes into all of that research and proper research, right? You can come across somebody who has an opportunity that sounds great, but chances are those opportunities are going to be leading to a, a brick wall eventually, right? You know, doing all of that due diligence and understanding those operators, it really does take a long, long time to be able to accomplish all of that. When somebody brings me an opportunity and I don't know these people, or maybe I've just heard of them, I'm not even going to look at the opportunity. It could be the greatest opportunity in the world. And if I don't know them, if I don't know who's running the deal, then I'm not interested. What about picking out you know, various different verticals? What types of opportunities are you most excited about today? Like, and I mean, like specific verticals, like again, mobile home parks or, or multifamily. I'm curious your mindset as far as what, what are the verticals that you're most interested in? Well, I am looking at mobile home parks. We both know somebody that's doing distressed mobile home parks, which I'm uh, finding very interested. interesting. Also, there's some high-end uh, luxury, larger short-term rentals. I also know someone that's been doing some construction on assisted living uh, facilities. I'm interested in that. Uh, self-storage. There's a couple people I'm talking to about self-storage. So those are the ones probably on top of my mind right now. There's going to be some great opportunities in multifamily. I'm sure there's some great opportunities right now uh, because of, of the debt situation. But I do have a lot of multifamily in my funds right now. So I'm trying to uh, diversify a little bit more out into some of these others. Mm-hmm. What about your your goals for the future? What's on the horizon for Jeff here? What are you excited about right now? What types of things are you looking forward to and growing and maybe even new opportunities that you're interested in getting into? Well, the main thing is I'm, I'm excited about uh, of extending my funds, of increasing them. My 506B fund, uh, we're looking to get that up to a $5 million under management which makes it an accredited investor, which means my non-accredited investors are going to have an opportunity to get into accredited only deals, which is pretty exciting for those investors. But I'm excited about diversifying into some of these other opportunities and working with some of these high caliber sponsors. It's exciting to me to be able to work with people of a high caliber level. Uh, That's enjoyable. When you could see somebody that is good at their business doing a great job, and that's not to say there's not going to be bumps and and hurdles to get over, but watching somebody that's at the peak of their game 
doing um, their best to work with investors and to help investors make money. That to me is exciting. Uh, so I'm always looking for more people uh, to work with that we're working as a team. We're all on the same team. Mm-hmm. And that's that's enjoyable to me. That's a great analogy too that, again, I think gets passed over. Looking at everyone as a team and everyone plays their role and everyone has their part. How can you partner together and make a better team? That goes from the investor side of things where they have their own skill sets, where they're generating their revenue from. And then you uncovering the operators and then the operators themselves actually doing the deals and, and running those projects. Yeah, that's absolutely. And knowing your lane, I can remember my son and I uh, used to play roller hockey. And when he was about 16 years old, we actually played on an adult, uh, an adult league. And he was him and his friends joined us. They were only 16 years old playing with all these other adults. And I'll tell you, just about every time I got the puck, I was looking for one of them because I knew they had a better chance of scoring than I did. It's knowing who's going to be scoring that you want to give them the opportunity because more than likely they're going to do it. You just need to know what your lane is. If you wanted to learn more from Jeff, go ahead and check out his website, which is synergeticig.com. That is S-Y-N. E-R-G-E-T-I-C-I-G dot com. And he is also Jeff at synergeticig.com as well. So feel free to reach out. He also has some free giveaways here where he answers the 46 questions that you need to ask your deal sponsors before you give them any type of investments. And that is on his website at synergistic ig.com forward slash sponsor.